Hey everybody, welcome to episode 57 of Junior Golf Keys and the first episode of 2021. I'm your host, Matt, and I really appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, I hope you had a good year in 2020. I know that's a funny thing to say, um, but I try to take a positive approach. I try to see the silver lining. I try to control what I can control. And for the golf industry in 2020, um, it was a really good year given the circumstances. And um, you know, it's an exciting thing for those of you that are turning into this, tuning into this podcast because it's obviously a junior golf podcast. Um, juniors are uh, at the youngest stage of when they can start playing the game. Um, there's been a really nice increase in juniors playing golf in 2020, a big increase in women and girls in 2020. In 2020 versus 2019, there were 50 million more rounds played year over year. That's a 12% increase uh, from 2019 to 2020. So um, even though there were a lot of challenges in 2020, uh, there was also a lot of excitement in the golf industry. And I think that that's something that we can all lean on uh, to move positively forward in 2021. So uh, I can't thank you guys enough for the support that you've given this show, um, You know, sharing, liking, um, commenting, reaching out to me. Uh, it really helps. I know it may seem like, you know, one comment or one email or, you know, one like on a post uh, isn't really doing much, but I promise you it's definitely helping this podcast continue to grow so that we can reach more and more families, you know, junior golfers, their parents uh, that are really trying to learn more about the world of junior golf and navigate their own journeys. So I'm really excited and I'm really appreciative of that, uh, that we've got such a great audience that continues to you know, push this message out there. And just kind of wanted to recap the year and give you guys a little bit of an idea of how the show is going. I've shared some of these stats uh, throughout the year, but I think it's exciting to kind of dive back into it, uh, just kind of give you a recap of you know where we stand. So, so far, uh, this podcast has been broadcast in 45 different countries, which is really exciting. Uh, the top countries, you know, pretty obvious, I would say that the United States comes in first there, just being that, you know, I'm in the U.S., um, has the large majority of the, the listening population there, but um, the rest of these countries stacked up right behind the United States have at least earned, you know, a full percent of the listening population. So I do want to share those. So you've got the U.S., you've got Canada, you've got India, uh, the U.K., Australia, and Sweden. So those six countries um, at the top of the list when it comes to listeners tuning in around the world. So thank you to all the support uh, in the U.S. and around the world. Uh, thank you to those countries at the top of the list and you know everyone that falls down below that as well. Uh, you guys are all contributing to you know, making sure that this podcast and this message gets out in front of people so that it can really bring value to them. And so if we dig in specifically to the United States, uh, here where I'm located, uh, we've got 49 states in the U.S. that have tuned in. South Dakota is still holding out on us. Uh, not exactly the golfing hotbed, so I'm not super concerned about it. But hey, if you've got a friend that's in South Dakota, shoot him a note. Tell him to download the podcast so we can check off that last state in the United States. I think it'd be pretty cool to, uh, to make that happen. So kind of joking, kind of not. But uh, you guys do what you want there. I really appreciate it. Um, as always, I continue, guys, to please reach out to me. Uh, please connect with me on social media at Junior Golf Keys on virtually every platform. You can email me at juniorgolfkeys at gmail.com. Um, I put out some posts this week just asking for feedback, really. Um, as we go into 2021 and I continue to try to make this podcast and this platform uh, just a really good and the best resource that you guys can have at your fingertips for you know, learning from people that have been through it, uh, that are involved in it currently, uh, just experts in the industry across different areas that are gonna help you navigate your junior golf journey. Um, I, I put out some posts and asked you for your feedback on you know, what topics you wanted to learn about this year, uh, any guests specifically that you'd like me to try to get on. And I did get some good feedback from that. I'm working on those requests, but always want more. Um, would love if you guys sent me an email or shot me a DM on you know, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, let me know, you know what you're taking away from the podcast, 
you know, what you'd like to learn going forward into 2021, what topics I can hit on for you guys, and, you know, what specific guests you might want to hear from. Do my best to try to make that happen. So um, I really appreciate you guys doing that. And, you know, last but not least, just on that topic, um, if you could, if you've been listening to the show, um, or maybe even if this is your first episode, I would love it if you guys would just take a couple minutes and go over to iTunes and review the podcast. Um, you know, if you search Junior Golf in, in Apple iTunes right now, Junior Golf Keys is the first podcast that come up. With, uh, excuse me, that comes up. Um, but just want to make sure that we stay at the top there, and uh, definitely want to make sure that we're you know being reached by as many people. Uh, as we can just to hear this message so that we can continue to provide value and help them in their journey. So thank you guys very much. You're a great audience. I really appreciate all the attention and, um, you know, all of you guys tuning in every week and everything that you do to help support the podcast. Um, Really excited about our first guest of the year. Uh, Agustina Gomez Cisterna is a sophomore at the University of Louisville. Uh, Augustina and I crossed paths a couple years ago. Um, in 2016, Augustina earned medalist honors at the Annika Invitational Latin America. Uh, in 2017, she won both the Tournament of Amateur Brazil Ladies and the final Tournament of Amateur Argentinian Ladies. Uh, 2018, Augustina relocated to the United States where she went on to attend IMG Academy. In 2018, she won both the Scott Robertson Memorial and the IMG Academy Junior World Florida Challenge. In 2018, she was also named to the AJGA's Rolex Junior All-American Honorable Mention Team. And uh, she is the seventh ranked player uh, of Argentinian amateurs and was ranked as high as 527 in the World Amateur Golf Ranking. So I'm really excited to have Augustina on. We had a really nice conversation um, like I said, she's in her sophomore year at the University of Louisville, and uh, in her freshman year, she played in three events. Um, she had a you know couple decent events, and uh, she's going to talk a little bit about what she had to do to recalibrate after year one uh, to make sure that she's putting herself in a position where she can compete more, she can support her team more, um, she can be you know the contributor and really reach the potential uh, that she's got, which she's got a lot of potential. And uh, she's a nice player. She's a, a great young lady. We're gonna just dive into a lot of the stuff that we do with that. I typically talk to you know some of our college players and junior players about, which is you know some of your practice and playing routines, you know mentality, um, you know people that surround her and her support system and how that works. Um, you know we're gonna dive into some of those topics, but really good conversation. I really appreciate Augustina for her time, and I think you guys are really gonna enjoy this chat. Uh, before we get into it, I do want to talk about my partner, Golf Kicks. Golf Kicks has changed the game when it comes to golf shoes, and I'm really excited to have them involved in this podcast. As you guys know, uh, they've been involved with it for about a year. Um, like I said, they've changed the game when it comes to Golf Kicks. They've created an aftermarket spike uh, that you can virtually put into any tennis shoe with a decent rubber sole on it. So for all you sneaker heads out there that are looking to convert some of those you know, sneakers in the closet that don't see daylight every day, uh, you want to maybe show them off on the golf course. I think Golf Kicks is a great option for that. And for some of you folks out there that can just never seem to find a comfortable pair of golf shoes that you want to wear, um, go pick out your favorite pair of sneakers, purchase a pair of Golf Kicks, and install those on there. It's going to help you bring uh, you know, the comfort that you've got in your regular tennis shoe to a functional golf shoe out on the golf course. So I think you guys are really going to like them. I've been using them for about a year. And, um, you know, really impressed with, you know, what they've done with this product. It functions just like a regular golf shoe would, and I've got the comfort of whatever sneaker I want to wear. So um, being a listener to this show gives you an opportunity to earn 20% off uh, with Golf Kicks. So if you go over to their website, uh, golfkicks.com, use the code JGK20, like junior golf keys, JGK20, you can earn 20% off your order at Golf Kicks today. So I hope you guys do that. Go support them. They've been a great company in supporting the podcast. And I really appreciate you guys tuning in this week. You sit tight. I'll be right back with Augustina Gomez-Cisterna. All right, everybody. Welcome back to this week's episode of Junior Golf Keys. 
I am joined by Agustina Gomez Cisterna, live from Argentina. Agustina, how are you? Good. How are you? Great. Great. Hey, Thanks everyone. for joining the show. Of course. Um, excited to talk to you. It's been a little while since we connected, but um, you know, really excited to kind of talk about your journey and you know what your path has been like uh, from a junior golfer up through um, you know now into your sophomore year at the University of Louisville and. Um, Excited to kind of hear what that's about. So could you kind of start off and just for the audience, talk to us a little bit about um, how you got introduced to the game of golf and and what your path has been like so far? Uh, Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Agustina. I'm from originally Buenos Aires, Argentina. I started to play golf when I was five years old. And here in Argentina, I live in a country club where there's plenty of sports to try out. And I started... I started to try tennis, there was field hockey in my school and volleyball, and at the same time, there was golf, so I kind of went to every single sport and kind of tried to check out every single one, and mm. I had that kind of like little special talent in golf, because I, I was able to hit the ball like 10 yards the first time that I was there, so I figured that I could be pretty good at it, at it so I kind of stuck to it. And now okay. I'm here. So nice. Um, so growing up in Argentina, I mean, once you got kind of plugged into the game of golf, um, is it something that, like, once you got introduced to it, is that all you did going forward? Did you continue to play any other sports, or talk to us a little bit about kind of how you mixed up, you know, sports and when you were younger? Yeah. So I started. I started off when I was five only with golf, but then as mm-hmm. I kept on growing up you know how you have required sports in high school that you have to do so i also did uh field hockey which i was the goalkeeper which was kind of bad because i could chip my tooth and then <laughs> it would be over <laughs> <laughs> and then and then in my in high school i started playing volleyball which i was pretty good at it but yeah i didn't have time to practice or like go to the, the weekend tournaments because of golf I was already 15 and I was already playing golf for 10 years. So yeah. I didn't have any other options but to keep on playing golf. <laughs> you were and, a veteran. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then <laughs> when I was 10 or, or 12, I started taking tennis lessons. And I, I really loved to, I loved to, I would love to play tennis, honestly. And I actually wanted to play tennis instead of golf. But then I started to think like, hey, I have five years of golf and I have, three lessons of tennis so kind of take advantage of that yeah and yeah did you um what was it that really drew you to golf I mean I know that you had had you had put more time into it but I got to think there's maybe you know something else just a feeling or a um a happiness or you know just a, a determination with the game of golf is there something like that that you know really drew you and connected you to the game yeah, I think it's the determination of wanting to do better every time that you play. I mean, if you shoot three under, next time that you want to come back and shoot five under, or if you shoot mm-hmm. four over, you want to continue to grind so that you can shoot under four over next time. And yeah. I think that it's that kind of like obsession of wanting to do better. Even though if you play amazing, like if I shoot seven under, the next day I want to do ten under. And that like, <laughs> right. that like keeps on making me come back. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause it's like every time I go golfing and I come home, my wife, she, she typically asks me before I get home what I shot so that she kind of can gauge like <laughs> what my attitude is going to be like when I get yeah. home. Um, but it's so funny cause we've talked about this before. Cause I, it doesn't matter if I shoot a 70 or if I shoot a 78 and I come home, there's always, one or two or five shots, you know, that I could think back yeah. that, you know, oh, that 70 could have been a 65, <laughs> that 78 could have been a 73. And she's like, can you ever just be happy? Yeah. Uh, I don't think that's score? possible. It's, it's tough for golf, right? I mean, yeah. there's, um, it, it just feels like there's always an improvement that can be made on the performance. So, um, but that's kind of an interesting topic because, you know, I, I don't know, you know, what your thoughts are on this, but, um, you know, when you start thinking about how, you know, golf can, you know, just be a very difficult game and there's always something that you can do better. You also want to kind of 
get rid of some of those thoughts at the same time. Right. I mean, just from a mental, um, from the mental game perspective. So, I mean, do you think about that at all too? just kind of, you know, good or bad playing, just trying to make some of those rounds short lived so that you can move on and, and to the next one. Yeah. I think the more golf you play, the harder it gets to, uh, just play like you're just playing on a weekend. I think that yeah. one of the things that I've been trying to work on this past semester was to try and play like I used to play when I was eight years old where like nothing mattered but to have fun and play good. But now when you're when I'm on top of the ball, I start to think like, okay, don't shank it or don't don't hit like a bad shot because it's gonna be so much worse because there's so much more on the line. Rather yeah. rather than just a, a small trophy like I used to play when I was 10 years old on a U.S. kids or something like that. Right. Right. So, yeah, that's interesting. So there's, you know, there's, there's some kids that are listening. There's a lot of parents that are listening to that have young kids. Um, how, how do you go back? Like, what is that mindset? How do you go back to that mindset or, you know, trying to go back to your youth, I guess, mentally, because I've done the same thing too. It's interesting that you say that I've, um, gone through kind of, I guess, peaks and valleys, you would say yeah. in this particular area. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you take yourself back there? I think it's trying to look more at the fact that you're playing golf rather than you're playing bad golf. It's like looking mm-hmm. more, it's kind of being grateful. Like, Hey, yeah, I'm playing, like I'm doing the sport that I love to do. Let me just try and enjoy it instead of complaining about if I've miss a green I mean I can stick I can still my par if I miss a green it's not that sure. it's not that bad of a like the world's not gonna end if I make a bogey it's just yeah putting that type of perspective and yep. and at the same time uh my coach my head coach at the University of Louisville uh her name's Whitney Young when we went out to play on the golf course she would stand behind me and as soon as I take my setup she would just tell me like hit like just go like stop thinking so much because that's yeah. going to bring a lot more trouble because the more you think, the more negative thoughts you bring in your head and it's going to make it so much worse. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about um, routines and, and, and mental thoughts. Kind of take us through a little bit of, you know, what your routines look like and how you help um, exactly what you were talking about with your, where your coach was, you know, telling you to just go and hit, and hit the shot. What do you do um, to stay in that mindset or to prepare your mind before you, I guess, step into the box, you know, to hit yeah. um, the next shot? Yeah, I'm pretty much of a visionary. So I love to see the shot that I want to do in my head and then try to recreate what I, what I imagined. So okay. when I'm behind the ball, I just do – I keep it pretty simple. I just do one practice swing and I'm ready to go. And the same when I'm picking my club, I don't think too much about that. I mean, I just measure it to the flag, and then I'm like, okay, slope, wind, where do I want to land it? And what what is that distance where I want to land it is playing, and then just pick a club. It's 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 yeah. just keep it, like, doing it pretty quick so that you can think the less possible, and then just stepping over the ball and saying, okay, just do what you imagine and just try and do it. And if it works out perfect, if it doesn't work out, then just try to like have a better feeling for the next shot and just try to fix, fix it for the next shot that you have. Yeah. A um, couple things come to mind. It sounds like, like when you're describing that, my initial thought was like, well, it feels like rushing through it. But then I'm, as I'm listening to you continue to describe it, it's not rushing so much as it is just being decisive and, you know, looking at the shot that you've got in front of you going through and and checking the boxes of what you need to do to prepare yourself and not really wasting any extra time where, you know, cloudy thoughts could then enter the mind. Right. Yeah. It's trying to get rid of those cloudy thoughts of saying, Oh, but if I pick an eight iron, maybe I'm going to leave it short. But if I pick a seven iron, maybe I'm going to go over the green and just and that's all those cloudy thoughts then lead to well if I go over the green then it's gonna be a hard chip to come back and then mm-hmm. maybe I missed the pie and I bogey so it's already you already created a whole negative thought that it's gonna make it so much worse when you're on top of the ball because you're gonna be thinking about that. Right, right, yeah, and you know the mind is so powerful that inevitably when you take yourself down that path mentally before you 
actually execute a shot, you can sometimes even manifest what you're negatively thinking about, right? Yeah, and like the unconscious thoughts are so much more powerful than the conscious ones. So if you're trying to think that you're going to hit a great shot, maybe you're like you're unconsciously thinking that you're going to hook it or you're going to push it. And then that's so much more stronger than you saying, no, I'm going to hit it to the middle of the green. Right. Right. For sure. How do you work on this stuff? I mean, I'm assuming that you guys do a lot of, you know, mental training, mental coaching at the university of Louisville. Um, what are some things that you guys do to work on these skills and build them? We do have a mental like coaching staff and I work mm-hmm. with my psychologist, a lot of meditation just to keep it calm, just to keep the mind flowing and to keep away from negative thoughts. And then as well as during the summer, uh, last summer when the, the pandemic was on and I couldn't practice on the golf course because everything was closed here in Argentina. I worked, I worked yeah. a lot on, I hit a lot of balls on the net and I focused more on, we did different type of disruptors. For example, okay. uh, I used to practice with very loud music. I, I cannot stand uh, hard rock. So I would put hard rock at the <laughs> highest volume and just try to keep practicing and just like to strengthen those disruptors. Or I would put, I would put, tell my mom to play different alarm sounds like this uh, a police officer siren or applause or people screaming or just like different type of distractions that would uh, come into into play when I play more if I want to play I want to play professionally and there's always going to be that somebody that's going to speak when you're hitting or that's going to distract you and then if you prepare yourself now you're going to be so much more prepared when that time comes yeah, that's really cool. That's that's an interesting um, that's an interesting way, like and, and just a real you know raw way to practice that, right? It's something that I don't know. I've never really thought about um, doing something like that before. But yeah, if you can, you know, we always try to or we always talk about you know recreating pressure uh-huh. um, so that you can train through that, and it's uh, you know and essentially what you're doing as it relates to just distractions, so that you can really focus in on you know, what you're actually trying to do with that shot. Yeah. And let me add another thing, since you said to apply pressure, I just remembered uh, something that I also practiced, you know, when you're on top of the ball on the putting, like on the green and you start to get that little like anxiety shots that go through your Mm -hmm. arms. If you do like, let's say 20 jumping jacks and then you try to putt, you're going to have that same feeling. So I try to do that too, just just to get used to that feeling. So when I came back to competition, I will be ready to feel that, and I wouldn't be bothered by it. Yeah, that's that's a really good one too. Um, you know, I think if you listen to some of the like really great players that are out there that you know have had a lot of success, they talk about that those nerves and that nervous energy and you know, accepting and embracing it versus running away mm-hmm. from it. Um, you know, if there's nerves, it means it's important, right? And it means um, that you have, you know, a desire to uh, do well. Um, and, you know, with that, sometimes just comes a little bit of fear. And so I think anybody is going to have that. But it's really interesting to hear you talk about how you try to manage that um, prior to putting yourself in that situation. So it's like the more rapid, it's like, it's like hitting balls, right? If you want to be a good ball striker, you need to hit a lot yeah, of golf exactly. balls. It's repetition. Yeah. Um, if you want to be strong mentally and be able to, you know, stand over a shot and not be distracted by any outside forces, you need to practice that. So I think that's really cool. Um, the way that you kind of broke that down and described mm-hmm. it. Is there anything else that you would add in terms of, just overall mental game and, and anything that, that you or, or the team does to to work on that? Uh, no, we try. I think it's kind of hard since we didn't have a season. It's kind of hard to keep up with the uh, kind of like like handling pressure because if we go out and play, yeah. like our coaches would tell us, go out and play 18 holes, uh, everybody again, like – everybody against everybody, it's kind of hard to put pressure onto that because you're just playing, you know, you're just playing to play to beat your team. Right. And you're not playing for a trophy or for the world ranking or anything like that. That could mean a lot more. 
Yeah. So I think that was kind of hard to keep up with, uh, which kind of did a bad impact on me. <laughs> yeah. Do you do you and the and your teammates do any kind of like you know matches within you know groups and stuff like that when you're out there playing to try to replicate any of that? Oh pressure? yeah, I play a lot of match with the best the best player, which is Lauren Hartledge. Uh, I play a lot of okay. match play with her, and I think that helps me to want to level up with her and be like her. She's, she yeah. she was supposed to graduate last year and she got that extra year. So right. I think that was great for me too because I could spend a lot more time with her and get to be a lot more like her so that then when she leaves, I can take that spot. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's uh, super smart to to learn from the people that are doing it and doing yeah. it well and see what you can do to, you know, kind of copycat yeah, exactly. some of those things. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, yeah. No reason to try to figure it out on your own. If you can look to somebody yeah, exactly. uh, that, that you can pull some things from. So let's shift and talk a little bit about your practice and playing habits. Um, I'm just curious. And we didn't really talk much about, you know, your actual junior golf competitions and stuff like as you were coming up. Um, but I kind of want to go into, I guess now as you, as you're at the university of Louisville, looking back, what would you say are some things that as a junior player from a practicing and playing perspective, um, how you spent your time in those areas, how has that shifted at all since you, came to college are you working on different things are you spending time um in you know more in one area of your game that you didn't used to spend as much time in like talk to us a little bit about how that breaks uh, down now. yeah i'm gonna be honest with you i'm really disappointed about how i used to practice at img i mean coming to img yeah. i came to img being the best player in south america and yeah that kind of gave me the idea of saying, of being greedy, saying, oh, I'm the best player. I don't have to work hard. Like, I'm already the best player. Mm. So that kind of made me laid back and start lacking and start practicing as much. I wouldn't practice on the weekends. I wouldn't play 18 holes every week. And that yeah. kind of had a huge impact on me for the first season. I didn't play any tournaments my first college season. I just played one tournament for the team. And that okay. was very hard on me because I had the vision that I was going to play every single tournament for the whole season. And then I didn't play any tournament. And then that pushes my confidence a lot lower. So the second yeah. semester, I was like, okay, now it's when the change happens and I'm going to start working a lot harder. But then, of course, COVID came. So I couldn't do that yeah. as much. But this season, this past uh, fall season, since we didn't have a season, I had a lot more time to spend on improving a lot more what I would practice on, how I would practice, and how much I would practice. And I've been dedicating a lot of time on hitting balls and just on the driving range, I would focus on having a kind of like a specific swing just so that I could narrow down the error, the error range. And if I miss, mm -hmm. it wouldn't be as bad or like work on short game on putter, but work a lot, put a lot more time into it. It's a difference that I did at IMG. Yeah. Was there, was there a specific moment that you kind of realized it's like a wake up moment for you that, you know, you didn't think that you were doing what you needed to be doing to accomplish what you were trying to accomplish? Yeah. I think it was at the end of my first, uh, semester in college I was like at the end when it all finished I just looked back and I I thought to myself like do you really just played one tournament and you could have played all five and my coaches told me the same thing like yeah. you were yeah. you were capable of playing every single tournament but you didn't because you didn't qualify and that was just right. kind of a switch that told me okay now you need to work harder now you need to start actually grinding and if you want to be the best, you need to practice like you're going to be the best. So how do you practice like you're the best? Where are you, what, where are you spending your time when you practice? I spend a lot of time on the golf course. I love to play in the golf course. I love to play. I, I could go out and play three balls and just kind of work on different type of shots. I love to work on different ball flights because I think that it's 
very important to have those different ball flights just for every situation. You never know when you're going to need it. And I don't spend much time in the short game, to be honest. <laughs> uh, I spend more time yeah. in the driving range and putting green just because I think that those okay. two are the biggest saviors. I mean, if you have a good, a good, good irons, then you're not going to miss as many greens. So I suppose, <laughs> and you're going to, you're going to make more putts. So I think that those two are the most important ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like how you talk about flighting the ball. You're out on the golf course. Um, Help the audience visualize, like, what do you mean by that? When you say, you know, you're out there and you're playing with, let's say you're playing with three balls, um, or maybe you're playing a ball and you drop a couple and, you know, hit some different yeah. shots. Help the audience kind of picture what you're yeah, talking Yeah, so about. I could go out and play nine holes, and let's say I play hole one, I hit a good driver middle of the fairway, and then I will be like, oh, okay, let's put, like, a, a different situation. Let's say I'm on a tournament and – I don't know, kind of hook it, leave it on leave it on the rough, and I have a tree right in front of me, so I have to draw the ball to the green. So I will try and picture that and try to do it, and then uh, later on on the course, I will try and hit a fade or try to hit a three-quarter shot or a, or a low fade or yeah. kind of play around, kind of just play around with the ball flights and just try to control them when I'm practicing so that then I can, I can be more confident when I actually have to do it in a tournament. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. And I, the, the creative artistry of the game of golf is a fun one. Um, but it just takes getting out there and putting yourself in those situations so you can learn how to hit different shots and be creative. Right? Yeah. And it's just a matter, it's just a matter of when you're at the moment, like in that situation, if you're willing to, do it or not. For example, Tiger in Mexico in two thousand I think it was two thousand eighteen when he did that amazing shot from the cross bunker that he Oh yeah. That the ball just bounced straight right. Where you say I don't think he puts a ball on the cross bunker when he practices and practices that shot. But it just comes to at the moment right. if you're feeling confident enough to try and and do that shot. And if in your mind you're convinced that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was an amazing shot. I know exactly yeah. which one you're talking about. It hit on the left side and of the it, green yeah. and just sucked and dead it, yes. right down to the it's pin. It's just, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, what about playing habits as it relates to tournaments? Um, when you're – do your playing habits change at all? You know, you're, you're talking about playing nine holes and going out there with a couple different balls and stuff like that. When you're playing in – let's call it like, you know, the week leading up to the tournament, maybe kind of like a prep week and then into practice rounds for a tournament. Um, how does your, how do your playing habits change? Do you shift a little bit more towards, uh, you know, scoring and, and, and strategy for that specific course? Or do you still kind of stick with some of the creativity and, um, you know, those types of things you were yeah. describing? Uh, so coming up to a tournament week, I would focus more on, how I'm playing at that precise time. So if let's say if I'm playing with a little bit of a draw, I would start. I would just say, okay, don't try and fix it. Just play with that little draw and just let it be what it is. And I never, I never mm -hmm. go out to the course looking for a specific score. Like I don't just say, okay, today I'm gonna shoot 68 because I feel like if I don't achieve that score, then I'm gonna be more disappointed on me. So I just try and say, okay, just look for a good golf. And if you don't play good, just try and shoot under 75 let's say and so yeah i go with that mentality of just trying to play my best golf and let it be what it is because i mean sometimes you win sometimes you lose so you never know what can happen yeah yeah it's it a is, funny yeah. game for sure funny and um, annoying <laughs> but lovely funny and annoying but <laughs> exactly. we love we it right we, we keep on coming <laughs> back every weekend trying to lower uh, <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about um, let's talk a little bit about your recruiting process. What was that like for you? And you know, I don't, I don't know if you want to go into just to kind of before you answer that. Sorry, I kind of jumped back in, but um, before you answer that, I will tell you that I think we're up to like forty-two countries that are listening to this um, podcast now, and so you know that's really exciting. And I think what it is, you know, we have a guest like yourself on. 
um, the, you know, came internationally uh, from Argentina, came to the U.S., um, stayed here for a couple of years and in school and, and golf and, and on the junior circuit and then, you know, went through that college recruiting process. I think it's kind of interesting if you want to like, I don't know if you want to pull any of that international experience into what you talk about, but I think it'd be kind of neat to hear your perspective um, from that way. Also, Yeah. I think that before I went to IMG, which was 2018 to finish my junior and senior year, I was, I had no idea about the recording process. I had no idea uh, about sending letters or anything like that. So I would just kind of wait for schools to, to, to email me or something like 2017, I won the Optimist Junior Championship, the Optimist, I don't know the name, Optimist International Junior Champ- World yeah. Championship, something like that. Yeah. And and then I won the first edition right. of the Annika Latin America. And I feel like that was the time where I had to say, okay, this is the time where I have to pick what school do I want to go to. Because that's where I was at my peak. That was where mm. I was at my highest level. That I was playing great. And I feel like I could choose any school but again like I told you I kind of yeah. laid back and I kind of was like when when schools emailed me I would be like oh no they're they're gonna be there they're always gonna be there so I can reply next week uh-huh. and then when I would reply they would be like no we're already full for 2020 for 2020 for 2019 and yeah that was just shocking because then the older I got the fewer options I had because all the schools were already having uh, people for the 2020 class. And it was just hard right. because my sen- I committed to Louisville on January of, of my senior year. And it was ju- I was right. just so on top of the date that I, I didn't have any other options. So I, I was kind of, kind of like pushed to make that choice. But at the same time, I don't regret it. I, love, I mean, I love Louisville. I love the school I go to right now. Uh, I just feel like I could have sure. a lot more time to kind of choose where do I want to go instead of saying, okay, I have to go here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, with all that said, what advice would you give um, some young players that are in a similar position as you are right now and maybe having some of the same thoughts um, that you were at that time and maybe not being as proactive as they need to, what, what, what would you tell them? They yeah, I was talking to uh, you remember Louis Liu from ING. Like he he is yeah. a yeah. soft uh, a freshman, I think, in high school right now. And I told him, you know what, just go ahead okay. and send as many letters as you can to every single school. That you're, just do a like a top thirty schools that you want to go to, and just send emails to everybody. I know they cannot respond to you, but they're gonna look at your email, and they're gonna respond when they can. Because you're going to have so much more options than you think that you will. So just go ahead and send all the letters now or like start doing your small resume and just start sending it out because it's going to be a lot more proactive when they can respond to you because you're going to get a lot more responses than just sitting back and waiting for the time that they can email you for them to email you. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity out there too. I mean, especially in yeah. women's golf, um, th- there are so many schools across the country. And so there's just a lot of options for young women out there that are looking to go on to, mm-hmm. you know, compete, uh, mm-hmm. athletically and academically yeah, at some, the collegiate level. Like you don't, if you sit down and start thinking there are so many schools in the United States that you can go to, it's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, any coaches or mentors that um, you lean on and, you know, how do you, how do you view and, and utilize um, coaches and mentors to help, you know, just to help um, you improve? I practice with Eduardo Miguel. He's a Joaquin Niemann's coach. Uh, oh, let me okay. clarify. I, I represent Chile now. I changed my nationality, so I don't represent Argentina anymore. Uh, just wanted to keep to clarify oh, okay. that. Uh, so I trained with the Chilean team okay. and I trained with him that he's from Chile. Uh, I think he is the coach that I lean more to because, I mean, of course he has Joaquin Niemann on his back. So every kid yep. wants to practice with him because of Joaquin Niemann. And I think he's mm-hmm. the one that I lean more to. Uh, okay. What do you, 
what do you work with him on or i mean what kinds of things are are you guys talking about uh well we do a lot of video calls or like through whatsapp like more of me sending him videos of my swing and he just replies to it with what to work on and we're working a lot on the swing technique like how i come back on my on my downswing i think that's one of the biggest things that i've been working on since img honestly it's been a struggle and i still can't fix it so (laughs) okay um well you know you know as well as anybody that you know that hard work and focus um you know you'll definitely you know move move past this little wrinkle and um you know, be, be ready and prepared mm-hmm. for yeah. the spring season. Um, is there anything else that you would just with there being such a big international audience on this podcast, is there anything uh, additional that you would weigh in on that you think is important for international students to, to understand just about if, if their goals are to come to the U S and uh, go to an American university, is there anything that you would, uh, advise them on any uh, further. yeah i don't know how i'm gonna put it into words uh but let me try uh, i think that being an international okay. student it's a lot harder coming into the u.s because you're coming to an, an, a completely unknown place nobody knows you there because you're coming from, i mean some people may know you like coaches but you just need to work a little bit more harder than somebody that is already from the united states because they've been playing there since they were born into the world of golf but international like when i came to the united states nobody heard about me until i started winning the scott robertson or the img world championship or yeah so it's kind of working your way up there where people are already up there so i think that is a bit of a struggle sometimes because you want to be the best one and having to you have you just have to work a little harder than the rest yeah. Would you advise um, playing in certain competitions or uh, certain tours or um, like obviously shooting mm-hmm. good scores is going to get you noticed, right? Mm-hmm. If you're playing in the right events, but you know, can you give some advice on what some of those right I events could be? I think AGGA is the best tour for junior golf to be, to yeah. be shed on a light and to start to being more recognizable because that's where every good player comes out from honestly yeah yeah there are there are definitely a lot of good players that that come through Mm -hmm. the the ajga circuit um and there's a lot of good tournaments out there across the u.s so i mean i would say too and i've you know talking to you and i've obviously talked to you know a lot of different college athletes that have had good success and junior players that have had good success um you know, I think just the more you can get out there and compete, um, the more you can, you know, give people an opportunity to know who you are uh, to because you've put yourself in a position to, you know, play well at, at certain events and, and put your name out there is just going to work in your favor over time because you're just continuously out there competing and, and yeah, putting your name out in front of people, Yeah, it's just a matter of repetition right? and continue to work hard and just believing that at some point and some time, you are going to start to be known with your success. So it's just a matter of keeping your head up high and not dropping your arms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about your family, Um, parents. uh, There's a lot of parents that listen to the show about 70, eh, maybe a little less, about 70% of the audience Mm -hmm. uh, are parents. And so can you talk to us a little bit about your, your relationship with your parents as it relates to golf, um, you know, what roles did they play? Um, supportive? Was there any friction? I mean, people have different relationships, um, you know, with their parents through sports. And I'm just kind of curious um, what your experience was and has been. And um, just kind of want to talk about that for the audience. Cause there's a lot of people listening that are just trying to figure out, how they can be the best parent to yeah, their junior golfer. Parents always want you to be the best version of yourself. So they're always going to be there supporting you, whether you want to do this or you want to do that. They're always going to try and support you. And if they think that that's not the right decision, yeah. they're going to try and change your mind 
sometimes it may annoy this is for junior golfers sometimes it may annoy you but you just gotta listen to them because they love you and they want to they want you to be the best but as of a parent's view yeah uh, my dad mostly is is more involved in in like my golf career than my mom my mom is more of a laid back of uh whatever you do i'm gonna support you but my dad wasn't the one who brought me into golf. He actually hated golf before I started playing it. <laughs> my older sister, she kind of introduced golf to the family, and my dad was like, "Oh no, that's an old people sport. That's an, like an old rich man sport. <laughs> yeah. Don't play that sport." And then when I started playing it, he just got obsessed with it. Okay. And uh, he just watched. He watched every single David Litvetter tape. He read every Golf Digest magazine it was just crazy uh yeah but yeah he my relationship with him is literally around the golf career and around my golf career i mean if i don't play good of course he's gonna be pissed because he wants me to do great and there's just times where we can't we just can't talk about golf because it's always gonna lead to a, a discussion because we we both have our own opinions yeah and and it's gonna it's gonna cr- cr- uh, clash at some point and but i mean both of my parents they really support me going to college when i when i wanted to go to img my mom you know how mom mothers are they want their kids to be around them all the time so she was kind of going back and forth of me leaving when i was 15 years old but eventually she was like okay this is this is your career this is your job this is what you want to do this is what you love to do so go ahead and do it i'm going to support you from a distance and yeah i, yeah, I vividly yeah. remember uh your family coming uh and, and visiting i think maybe when they were dropping you off and yeah standing in that you know front lobby with your mom um uh, she she was obviously pretty upset to be leaving you behind it was mm-hmm. You know, I think every parent, it's it's interesting when uh, I had a lot of these moments when I was recruiting players at IMG because, you know, parents, I think, kind of prepare themselves for, okay, 18 years old, 18 years old, my kid's going to go to college. And, you know, that's when I'm going to have to, you know, take them and drop them off. And I'm going to have to, you know, kind of deal with that separation a little bit. Yeah. Um, but when you're coming and you're 15, um, you know, then the parent's schedule has you know, been altered, you know, two or three years and, uh, you know, maybe not as prepared for those types of moments because uh, this wasn't supposed to happen yet. You were supposed yeah. to wait until they go to college to go away. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, I think but, my parents uh, were not expecting that. Yeah, yeah. So jump back to, because I'm really interested what in what you said with your dad. And I think that in my experience with junior golf parents, um, uh, and their their kids there are kind of a couple different ways that you can approach conflict um in the relationship in the golf game and you described yours in a way with your dad as you both uh recognize at times that this is just not going to be productive for us to continue to either talk about this or you know just hash it out whatever the topic is around your golf game and you decide to kind of take a little bit of separation, but in the same breath, you're talking about how he's been your number one supporter and um, you know, been the most involved in your golf career. So it sounds like you guys have a really good kind of push and pull type relationship where um, you know, you're able to navigate through even some of those tougher times. And so uh, why, why is that so important? The style that you guys have adopted in when conflict arises to just kind of take a little bit of a step back, what does that do for you guys in your relationship and your golf? Yeah, I think being the junior, the junior, like the the child, let's say, uh, Mm -hmm. it's a lot better when you, when me and my dad just part ways and just leave discussion because it's gonna, it's, it kind of stresses me out like thinking that we are discussing over a sport where it should just be having fun and enjoying the time and uh, taking the most out of it. But when yeah. it turns out to be conflict and we just, and like the family bond starts to get ripped because of a sport, that's when I try and when I start to suffer and I start to say like, why am I playing a sport that is 
separating me from my family. So when we take that standpoint of just saying, okay, you have your opinion, I have my opinion, but we're going to keep it to each other, to ourselves because just so we don't, it doesn't lead to a discussion. We're just going to do that. And that keeps me a lot more calm. Although sometimes I wish I could tell him like what I'm thinking about and what his thing, and I want to know what he's thinking about, but it's just better to keep it to ourselves because if not, the family bond is just going to kind of get destroyed for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And you know that because you've, I'm just saying, you know, to have the discipline in not going into that conversation because you guys have had those in the past and they just didn't go very well. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. All the yeah. time. Yeah. When yeah. I was, when I was younger, when I was 10 years old, uh, you know, when you go through that, uh, adolescence where you're just discussing to your parents about over, over everything mm-hmm. and that will be chaotic for my dad, my mom, my sisters. I mean, my mom eventually said, I don't want to know anything else about golf if you're going to fight all the time. <laughs> Right. Because, yeah, and the, that's what happens when you're conf- when you're in conflict on the time with your family. Like, eventually, yeah. either me or them, they're going to step away and they're going to say, like, you know what? You win. Do what you want. Yeah. And that's not what I want. Like, I want to have my family next to me supporting me for everything. And, yeah. and I mean, they, can, they have to understand, too, that as I grow older... I have to make my own choices and they're going to, they're just going to be like a second voice. They're not going to be the main voice. Like they used to be when I was 10. Uh, yeah. That's a good point. Which is hard. That's a good point. Parents. And it's not a disrespect thing, right? It's no, just you're no, maturing. Yeah. yeah. It's just me maturing, me becoming an adult. Like when, I don't know, let's say on the summer, this coming summer, I decide to stay in the United States to play tournaments. My parents, Maybe they want to see me. Maybe they want me to come back to Argentina. But at the same time, it's my choice because I want to play professional golf as soon as I can. It's on my decision. I mean, I turned 19 this year, and I'm already an adult. I'm already capable of making my own choices. And yeah, it's it because I used to consider every opinion of them. But eventually, I'm going to start taking my own, my own opinions first and then I'm going to take them theirs into account. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's natural too. And it sounds like, I mean, it sounds like you're approaching it the right way. And I think that, you know, for parents and players that are listening, um, you know, players, you know, kids that are listening there, there comes a time, you know, like what you're describing, Augustino, where you do want to start being a little bit more independent. You do want to start making your own decisions. Um, you know, I kind of, when I was growing up, I, I kind of blocked out a lot of what my parents wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I don't, it was not, I'm not super proud of that, but that's just the reality of uh, kind of what happened. I, I just, I kind of went against the grain on everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, I don't think that that's the right way to do it either. I think there's a good balance between, um you know, going completely against what your parents say and doing everything that they say just because they say to do it. There's kind of, I think there's always kind of that good balance in the middle of, um, you know, listening to your parents, being respectful of, you know, their opinions and their teachings and those types of things, but also continuing to develop as individuals to, um, you know, have your own perspective and, mm-hmm. you know, have your, take your own initiative and, you know, those types of things. So it's, it's a constant process, right? Yeah. Evolving. And, you know, I'm still, I'm 34 years old. I'm still evolving in that process um, in my relationships with, you know, my family, my parents, my sisters, you know, those types of things. So it doesn't stop. Um, it just, it just evolves over time. No. Yeah. And I think that that stage when you're, your kids go through from like 11 years old till 16, they go through that, like, uh, like kind of like a revolution (laughs) of no, like, no, I want to do what I want. Like, don't tell me what to do. Get out of my room and stuff like that. I think Mm -hmm. that's one of the hardest stages. And I recognize myself. I, I, I blame myself. Like I used to be like that. I used to be like, only my opinion counts. Whatever you say, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go against your will. Just because you're yep. telling me what to do, I'm going to do the total opposite to piss you off. Yep. And now that I'm 19 and I'm in college, I've 
grown so much more that I'm like, okay, I'm going to listen to your opinion. And it's up to me whether I want to apply it or not. And if I don't apply it, then I'm not disrespecting you. I'm just putting my opinion first. Sure. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't think that there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, uh, for parents, it is. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, yeah, I know, but that's tough, right? I mean, it's tough if you think about, like, I'm not a parent, and I know, you know, you're not a parent, but, you know, I got I to gotta think that for parents out there that are, you know, listening, you know, every parent wants to be as supportive as they can and, and wants the best for their kid and those types of things. Um, and, and it probably is a very difficult process to go through that shift of uh, my child may not really need every little single thing that I used to do to support them. Um, you know, and and that kind of just changes over time, um, you know, needs and wants in those relationships. So I think just to kind of tie it all back, I think the most important thing in all of this is communication, um, continue to communicate, you know, parents, children, um, you know, talk about your opinions, put them out there. Um, you know, parents, I, I would say maybe force and push, the 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 children just to you know have some creative thinking and come up with their own solutions and those types of things um, just to help kind of build and breed those skills um i think it's going to help with the relationship just the more communication that's behind it yeah and that's something else uh when i uh moved to img i was so used to having my dad behind me my dad behind me telling me go practice wake up early you can't yeah. you can't go out because tomorrow you have practice at nine a.m. Uh, I don't know. Do another do one hit another ten balls to the same target, and then when I moved to IMG, I kind of had that. Okay, I took my dad off me. I'm completely relieved. I don't have him behind me anymore. And I think it's that uh, problem of my dad being so on top of me that sometimes mm-hmm. he he maybe should have. Just let me be for a little bit. Just be like, okay, make your own choices when you're 10 years old. And if you make a mistake, I'm going to be here to pick you back up and push you again. Uh, so yeah. it's kind of riding a bike. If you're holding your, your kid all the time, he's never going to learn to hold his own balance. But if you let him sure. go and he falls and then you pick him back up and you're like, okay, let's try again. And that's going to mm-hmm. help him grow a lot more. Yeah. So that's something I kind of struggled a lot with. That's a really good analogy. And I think that that's something that is definitely something that I struggled with. Um, I think it's something that is always a struggle between parents and and kids. Um, And I I think that's a good place to kind of start closing up um, with this conversation. I think that's a really good place for us to end and something that um, we can all think about, you know, going forward. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, as I wrap up, one of the things that I do at the end of the show is pass the baton over to the guest and or microphone, I guess, whatever you'd like to say (laughs) and um, answer any questions that I can for you. I don't know if there's a question or two that you might have for me as it relates to um, golf in general, junior golf, um, you know, this podcast specifically, is there anything that sparked an interest of yours in our conversation that I can maybe answer for you and and, or the audience? Um, See, if you would have told me that before, I would have thought about it. <laughs> you cut me off guard with I know. the baton. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and it's all right. It doesn't have to be anything crazy or you don't even have to ask me anything at all. Um, but just an opportunity, if, if there's anything that you're curious about um, that that you'd like me to weigh in on, I'd, I'd be happy to do that. I mean, maybe like ask for your, what do you think as uh, more of an adult? I mean, I'm 19, I have... Uh, a lot less experience with uh, being an adult. What would you Mm -hmm. recommend for parents and junior golfers as well, since you went through the same thing to do in that parent, parent kid bond in between sports? um, Yeah. I mean, I definitely went there. I, and my growing up, I played a lot of different sports. Um, you know, I played baseball, basketball, golf. I played football, American football at one point, soccer. Um, 
yeah, I played all kinds of different sports. So I would say that I'm a big believer in, in multi-sport athletes. I think that, um, I think that there are definitely going to be front runners, you know, sports that, you know, tend to be more important or, uh, that the player latches onto more golf and baseball were the two that I, you know, played the longest. Um, don't play baseball anymore. Golf still for sure. Um, I would say if you're a parent, it's really good to get your kid out there and involved in testing different sports. And, you know, because that's an opportunity to, for them to figure out what they like. Um, I think as a parent, it's an opportunity to, if you have the ability to provide, those opportunities for them to be involved in, in multiple activities. And, you know, maybe it doesn't even necessarily have to be sports. I don't know if it's music or it's art Mm -hmm. or, you know, different stuff like that. I think it's important um, that young people taste those different things to figure out what they like and what they're good at. Um, Because I'm a believer that when somebody figures out what they like and what they're good at, um, it's an opportunity for them to be the most successful that they can be. Um, and so I think that that's a really big responsibility of parents Mm -hmm. and it's something that I've seen over time play out in different ways. Um, I've seen it play out the way that I described it and I think it works really well and I've seen it play out in ways that parents sometimes, sometimes force the kids down a certain path. And I'm not talking about, um, you know, regular parenting things like, you know, teaching good morals Mm -hmm. and values and, you know, those types of things I'm talking about, um, just hypothetical example, you know, dad picked up playing golf, you know, as a 40 year old and he's really into the game and I didn't have an opportunity to play college golf and by God, my son is going to play college golf and I'm going to make sure that, you know, I I push them to the point that they get there. Um, that kind of approach, I don't think is healthy. Definitely not. Um, and I've mm-hmm. seen it, I've seen it. So, um, yeah, I don't want to just keep rambling on, but those are kind of my, some of my thoughts around, you know, parents and, you know, approaching a kid in athletics and, you know, what I think they can do to create a positive experience. Yeah. I don't know if you know the, uh, I don't know where he's from, where he's from. He's an ex-professional tennis player, Andre Agassi. Agassi, yeah. Agassi, I don't know how to say his last name. I have his autograph. Really? I do. Yeah. When I was living in Atlanta, when I was a kid, uh, there was a tournament at the Atlanta athletic club called the, I think it was called the AT&T challenge at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I had an opportunity to meet and, uh, get an I... autograph from Andre Agassi. Well, yeah. yeah. He went to IMG. Yeah, I know. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I read his book and it's, it's amazing how he says that he hated to play tennis because his dad because really? his dad would push him so much he would like up he, he would feel obligated to play tennis because of his dad when he was 15 years old he would be practicing for hours and he would eventually start to play bad on purpose just so his dad would get mad and let him go so oh, wow. it's just to, if if your parents are on top of you up to that point where you don't want to play the sport anymore that's when it gets that's when it gets troubling and that's when parents need to take a step back and say okay you do your own thing and i'll be here yeah yeah and i've talked about this before on here so i don't want to go like rehash the entire story but my dad and i had a very similar situation like that when i was maybe like i don't even think i was 10 years old yet maybe like Mm -hmm. eight or nine something like that where um i just basically said I don't want to play golf with you anymore. And he did have one of those moments that was like, Oh no, what did I do? Um, And we've got a great relationship and, and uh, we played a lot of golf together growing up and still, you know, try to play as much as we can now. But um, yeah, he definitely had one of those moments and had to kind of adjust that, you know, maybe he pushed a little bit too hard and, you know, needed to let me just kind of make some of those decisions on how I was going to play and practice. Yeah. And I went through the same thing. There was some point in life where I wanted to quit golf. Because my dad was so yeah. on top of me, and plus I wanted to have that teenage life of being being mm-hmm. like hanging out with more friends or going to a sleep uh, a sleepover. Is that was called yeah, and yeah. and I couldn't do that because <laughs> I had practice at nine a.m. and my dad would tell me, "No, you can't go because you have practice." 
So eventually I told my dad, like, hey, dad, I don't want to play golf anymore. Like, I'm just tired of it. And but then the next day I went to practice. (laughs) So, (laughs) So, yeah, I'm glad I did not quit it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, I'm excited for you and what you've got coming up this next spring semester. It sounds like um, sounds like you've had a lot of growth in the last year, um, you know, coming into Louisville, um, you know, some good expectations, you know, not really meeting the expectations maybe that you had set out, but, you know, recalibrating, going back to the drawing board, you know, putting a plan together. And uh, I'm excited to see what that does for you and your future because uh, you're a really good player. Um, you're a really good person. And I think that um, you're going to have some good success if you can just, you know, keep your head down, uh, keep reassessing what you need to do to get better and, um, you know, keep putting that effort and, and that mm-hmm. grind, as you say, it into yeah. it. So uh, I'm excited for that. And I, I'm I'm glad that you were able to jump on here. I think it was a really good conversation. I think we talked about some things that parents and players are definitely going to be able to mm-hmm. take some value out of this conversation to, to help yeah. in their journey. Thank so, you so much thank for you inviting me. Yeah, you're welcome. Anything. You're welcome. Um, yep, I appreciate it. Let me know if there's anything Perfect. I can do for you. Thank you, Matt. All right. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Well, that wraps up episode 57 of Junior Golf Keys with our guest this week, Agustina Gomez-Cisterna, sophomore at the University of Louisville. Uh, really appreciate Agustina for her time uh, jumping on and you know sharing her journey with you guys and sharing some expertise and what she's learned and you know how she operates. I think you guys are definitely going to take away some value from that. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in. Uh, thank you very much. If you took any value away from this episode, please share it. Please leave a review. Also, make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out on some of the exciting guests that we've got coming up. And I hope you join me next week for another episode of Junior Golf Keys.